0: Betches Media presents
1: Donald Trump was a, a stain on our country. I'm someone's daughter,
2: too. That's what I'm So
0: help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sub Podcast.
2: Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking.
1: Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today contains multitudes, just like us. (laughs) We have a range of topics today. We're so excited. We're going to start off with a discussion with Representative Andy Levin of Michigan about the outcome of the recent effort to unionize an Amazon facility in Bessemer, Alabama. Then we'll be joined by our friend and Bachelor host, Chris Burns, to talk about this morning's big news that former Bachelor himself, Colton Underwood, has come out business in the front,
3: party in the back today. (laughs) I wasn't sure if I was supposed to speak in this intro because you wrote it out so nicely, but I'm very excited for all of the things we'll be talking about. (laughs) Awesome. Let's get into it.
1: We are back with Representative Andy Levin, who currently serves as the U.S. Representative for Michigan's 9th Congressional District. Thank you so much for joining us, Congressman.
4: Hey, Amanda, great to be with you.
1: You too. You have a ton of experience with labor law, even before you entered politics. This is a passion and area of expertise for you. So we're excited to chat with you today about the recent effort to unionize Amazon warehouse workers in Bessemer, Alabama, the outcome of that, how to interpret the outcome of that, and what comes next.
4: Awesome. My favorite topic.
1: Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) One of ours as well.
4: (laughs) Really? Oh, of course.
1: Yes, yeah. So to start last week, we learned that roughly two thirds of the facility's workers are those who voted, voted against unionization. But I think a lot of people who are casually watching this from outside the area or outside the labor field, I think they see this outcome and think, okay, the vote failed. That means these workers don't want a union. Is that the correct conclusion or not? What are the other factors there and how should we interpret how this effort has ended for now?
4: It's not the right conclusion at all. It's as if uh, there was an election in a dictatorship and the dictator won again. Wow, look at, oh gee, so that means that he is so popular. You know, no. Uh, First of all, there were 505 challenged votes certified by the NLRB and probably 400 of them were votes for the union. And almost all the challenges came from Amazon. And so, again, they, another way that they're able to distort things is to change the whole narrative, because if there were 400 more votes for the union, that would put them well over a thousand. Right. It doesn't look like such a drubbing. And even though they still you know, wouldn't have prevailed in the vote, I think that the, the narrative would have been different. But since those votes are never counted, the press doesn't go into all that detail. Right. Mm-hmm. So they just like, Forget about that. <laughs> yeah. Amazon
3: that. triumphs right. again. Right. Yes. Well, let's go into some detail. Okay. <laughs> so you tweeted last week, I know these brave workers and this tough union will battle on, but let's be clear about the battlefield they're playing on. Can you describe the terrain of that battlefield? How did what Amazon did track with like typical tried and true attempts at union busting?
4: Yeah, so Elise, I think the Amazon campaign is both extraordinary and total garden variety at the same time. It's extraordinary for a lot of reasons. We can talk about that. But why is it garden variety? Because when I started helping nursing home workers organize with SCIU in 1983. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Nineteen eighty three. It was, you know, the nursing homes basically use the exact same playbook as Amazon. Um, and so they hire union busters, check. They um, immediately start a, a massive campaign of uh, propaganda against the union, which doesn't have to be true, by the way, there's no requirement, they can lie. And it, they suffocate the workers with it day after day after day. They use work time to campaign against the union, but workers are forbidden from using work time to campaign for the union, and they may have armies of union busters come in and all supervisors can be full on as their job is to campaign against the union or they can be fired. But if a union organizer set foot on the premises, they're arrested. And I know this wow. from personal experience. <laughs> I was once arrested on the sidewalk in a public sidewalk in Southeast Massachusetts when I was organizing hospital workers with SEIU when the, the nurse, the, the hospital called the police and they threw um, through a couple of us in jail. And you why know, do I think that's
1: not the only time you've been arrested?
4: That's true. That's true. <laughs> There's no basis for it. Anyway, so um, they I mean, you know, it, I don't know how long your show is, but it would literally take the whole thing to go through mm-hmm. all of their tactics. Mm-hmm. But people just anybody who has an idea of like an American election, even with the voter suppression stuff we're talking about now, it completely pales in comparison to what workers go through when they try to have an election to form a union, which is basically just imagine your boss who sets your hours and your wages and everything, like which shift? You have to work the night shift because your spouse works the day shift and you're juggling the kids. They know that. And they're like, oh, Amanda, you're working the day shift now. And you're like, um, if I work today shift, I can't stay here. And they're like, "Oh well, the schedule requires it." You're the leader of the union drive. You have to quit. And they, it's you know, they supposedly didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's just legion. And Amazon did all of this stuff to crush these workers. And it's astounding how well the workers did. That's my view of it. And it all just shows why we have to completely change the way the game is played, so the working class of this country can get their own organizations again and get a, 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 you know, dignity and a decent, uh, you know, living and also decent working conditions.
1: Right. Yeah. When you look back on sort of the origins of like a lot of political or social movements, there are a lot of, they're called at the time, so-called failures before you can get enough momentum and really break through. And I, I don't think it's possible to overstate the power of what they were able to do and the power of the outcome, even though it's not what most people would associate with the preferred outcome.
4: You're so right, and you know what, I'll go further. I mean, if you look at the history of our country, the whole history, the biggest thing that ever happened for workers in terms of forming unions was workers like these Amazon workers in the industry of the moment, the new industries, in, in the 1920s and 30s, it was mass manufacturing, the Taylorist economy, rubber, steel, autos, all these huge factories. Those workers started organizing. Their, their failures, <laughs> their blood literally led to the mm-hmm. passage of the National Labor Relations Act in 1935. And then that new playing field led to the biggest organizing drive in the history of our country. We went from you know, today we have only six percent of private sector workers in unions. It was very similar back then. They workers organized at big places, small places, coast to coast, including the South, and we got up to thirty-five percent from almost you know wow. a, a standing start to almost thirty to thirty-five percent of the workforce being in unions in the late '40s and early '50s. Built the middle class of this country, created things like health insurance, pensions. Uh, you know things that everybody the weekend. You know things that people take for granted. The
3: weekend, <laughs>
4: like who doesn't love the
3: weekend?
1: <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're into the weekend, then you are pro union.
3: And just to be clear, we're I mean we're not talking about the artist. He's we're great, not talking but about the performance artist. We're talking artist. about the actual concept of getting two days off.
1: Yeah, can you actually talk a little bit more of the link between um, sort of eroding labor laws and the eroding middle class?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at the last hundred years and put two things on a graph, what percentage of workers had unions and what percentage of all compensation went to the top 10% richest people, they match in inverse proportions virtually perfectly. Wow. So, I mean, when unionization rose dramatically in the late 30s and 40s and 50s, Income equality grew tremendously. We we basically achieved the most equal economy we ever had in the history of the country. And that kept going until a guy named Ronald Reagan came along, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And then once Reagan came and busted the PATCO, the Air Traffic Controllers Union, and the union busting industry grew up and employers lost all inhibition about violating the law or just crushing workers. Unionization rates went down, 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 and whereas compensation and increases in productivity matched almost exactly from the, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, from the late 70s through today, they became completely divergent and all increases in our wonderful productivity of this country, all our innovation, all the wonderful things about America all went to the very richest people because workers don't have unions anymore and they don't get their share.
3: I think back. I think about all the time how like my grandpa was a union, like blue collar worker when my mom was growing up and they like they had six kids, et cetera. And I just don't know that he would be able to like provide the same life that he was be able to provide for his family then as he was now as like an elevator repairman, you know, I mean,
4: dude. you know, when I was when I was a kid, you know, the working class and middle class weren't totally I mean, today, they're like totally yeah. separate things. I mean, mm-hmm. work, I grew up in Berkeley, Michigan, a little town outside Detroit. Most of my buddies thought I was crazy for going to college. They went and got a job at Ford's or something, as we called it. And, you know, they're like shacking up with their girlfriend, you know, getting married, having kids. And I'm like growing college debt is the main thing I was doing. <laughs> and they're like, you are out of your mind because I'm living the American dream. Wow. And you That's are, so you know. interesting. I mean, yeah. And yeah. but wait, it's not just the middle class in some generic way. It's racial and gender justice. I mean, the, the wage gaps and, you know, wealth gaps between women and men, black workers and white workers, Latinx workers and white workers are way less for union members. And what, what, family wealth among black people who have unions is five times What's what wow, unbelievable African-Americans who don't, we gotta, you know, we gotta let workers just have their own organizations, get their little share of the pie. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, how can we call ourselves a democracy if we don't, I don't get it.
2: A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
1: So I think the pandemic has sort of presented like two, I think, possibly contradictory circumstances for a lot of essential wage workers. We've definitely seen a lot of newfound appreciation for their sacrifice, their grit, the value of the work that they do, along with sort of calls to like improve those conditions for them. At the same time, the pandemic has resulted in huge job losses and furloughs across the country, meaning I think some are willing to maybe endure certain conditions if it does mean that they have a paycheck. Do you think either factored into this union outcome here, and what do you think the long-term impact of the pandemic will be on workers' rights?
4: Well, you know, I mean, for one thing, just, The number of people who have left the labor force altogether is completely alarming and how it's so disproportionately women. I mean, from August to September of 2020, you know, that moment in the fall when the pandemic was continuing in force and it was time to go back to school in one month or in one, you know, from August to September, 865,000 women left the workforce, not got unemployed. They're like, I'm not a worker anymore because I'm a worker at home mm-hmm. with kids, with school, with the household, you know, whatever. And you can there's a whole thing about sexism in our society with that. But also, you know, just um, it, the the lack of childcare, the lack of benefits, the lack of the pandemic has exposed all of the lack of basic infrastructure. And I, I think that had a huge impact on this. For one thing, um, I think it workers are both more emboldened to say we have to do something, you know, under these conditions. And also it's, it's more threatening because jobs are harder to find and it's harder to get, a, a, you know, a decent job. And, of course, Amazon crows about how generous they are, you know, paying $15 an hour. Well, I mean, number one, you know, Jeff Bezos got $68 billion richer It's just obscene to be bragging about paying people $15 an hour. And number two, this is not working in a McDonald's or in a Walmart. A warehousing is a different industry and wages are higher in warehouses. You know, but when I went and visited those workers, the main reason they were forming a union wasn't about, I need to make more money. It was about, can I have a safe workplace during a pandemic? Can I have time to pee? on my job. Can I have time to eat lunch in a 10 hour shift? I mean, the yeah. de- that's the that's the unique aspect of the Amazon thing is how, what they're doing to work in this country. Oh my God.
3: Yeah. I, um, before you logged on, I was talking about how I'm in SAG. And like, yeah, one of the things SAG does for us is it mandates how we have to be paid as actors for different rates. But another thing that it does is make sure that we're safe on set. And like they have a number that we can call that says, oh, you know, if you if something unsafe happened to you, they, it mandates that they have to feed you lunch. They can't just hold you there. There various things have to be provided for you. So there's just so much more to what a union does than like get you more money, quote unquote
1: especially well, after
3: you don't have that job. I was, I was in a union that allowed me to get pretty
1: good severance when I got laid off. And I was like, fine with my, it was being presented to me while the union was being formed, that this would compromise my income in some way. But it actually, of course, ended up supporting me while I was unemployed.
4: Yeah. And I, I think SAG is, I mean, Elise's union is um, such a great symbol of this whole situation too, because, you know, Amazon, this whole thing of like, well, you know, there was a time for unions or some people may need a union, but not these amazingly compensated Amazon workers. (laughs) It's like, okay, let's see who are the most highly unionized people in society. Um, In airlines, it's the pilots. Uh, All every, every sports, you know, every pro sports person, you know, at least the men, I mean, there's, you know, women don't, you know, there's that's an organizing struggle to talk about too, but (laughs) You know, the idea that anybody would be playing professional baseball or basketball or football or hockey without a union or any movie star. And not only does that show that highly compensated people need unions, but also that the idea that unions are a straitjacket or that you can't, you know, you have to negotiate for yourself. Don't tell me LeBron James doesn't, comp- you know, negotiate for himself, but that doesn't prevent the need. For him having a union, yeah, especially for all his brothers who are, you know, going to spend three years in the league at the bottom salary and get out because, you know, and they or if
1: they get injured before they can even get to that point, right?
4: And they're just uh, without uh, their their union, they'd be screwed.
1: Yeah, yeah. How does this Amazon situation? Because I th- I think the the context that you're laying down that it's like Amazon, they don't just pose a threat to their own workers. Like letting them carry on like this will change work for all of us. And those Amazon organizers, that's what they're trying to prevent. But are there other guardrails? How does this situation sort of highlight the vacuum of labor laws in the country? How do we fix it? And is there any current uh, federal legislation in the works with you and your colleagues that could have impacted this or could impact a future election?
4: Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I see this campaign and these brave workers and what they've accomplished by waking up America and the whole world to what it, what happens when you try to form a union in this country um, as a, a, a huge salvo in the fight to, to pass the, the PRO Act or the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. Mm-hmm. This is a bill that we passed in the House already. So it's over there in the Senate. So all these questions about the filibuster and how we're going to get anything done with the Senate you know, being so closely divided, and anyway, even when we had bigger majorities in the Senate, the filibuster prevented anything from happening so but the protecting the right to organize act would have changed this really? election completely. Wow, I mean I can just I to run down a few things Please. mandatory meetings, nope, not allowed delaying, delaying having the election nope, there'd be a faster timeline
5: mm-hmm. Uh,
4: mm-hmm. the the, uh, if the company fires people for you know, being union leaders, the NLRB gets an injunction, puts them right back in the workplace. Why? And that's not just about that person and their rights. The reason they fired Amanda is because Elise and I are like, oh shit, they fired Amanda. She was the strong <laughs> one. I'm a chicken. You know, I'm not like Amanda. <laughs> I, oh my God, you know.
3: I would be so I, scared if they fired Amanda. Right Me too. I mean,
4: <laughs> Oh, you know, we have to give something
3: up. Something has happened. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and so, you know, that would be something. Biggest of all, Yeah. if a union files with a majority of cards and then after the election, the NLRB finds that the company illegally destroyed the majority, they bar- they order the company to recognize the union and bargain a contract. Oh, wow. I mean, it goes on and on. It ends the right to freeload or what, you know, right to work, supposedly, which all Uh that means is allowing companies and unions to negotiate contracts where everybody pays their fair share to administer the contract. Nobody has to become a union member. The Supreme Court said that in 1947. It's just about paying your fair share for something that the union is legally obligated to provide you. You know, so anyway, we've got to pass the Protecting the Right to Organize Act or the PRO Act. It would be it's the it's the boldest labor law reform proposal since the National Labor Relations Act in 1935. It would deal with gig workers and contracted workers and all these categories of people who have been excluded. You know, in 1935, when we passed our National Labor Relations Act. Domestic workers weren't even covered. Farm workers weren't even covered. Because those workers, that meant black workers in the South and Dixiecrats or Southern Democrats, their price for voting for labor law was you have to not include the black workers that we want to continue to exploit. I mean, so we would take care of those problems. It would do so much to modernize labor laws and free up workers to form unions if they darn well please.
1: Yeah. And I think this effort, um, President Biden did speak out in support of the organizers. Has a president done that before?
4: You know, uh, basically, no. (laughs) Some, you know, President Roosevelt said some pretty great things. Uh,
1: I've heard people like what he says sometimes. Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, other presidents have said good things. But the truth is a president speaking up in an organizing campaign like that, Without saying the word Amazon, okay, but it was really obvious what he was doing. That was amazing. And, you know, I called um, Steve Reschetti at the White House in December and said, look at this, this situation. If the president would say something, it would really explain to America his, like, how, how he's in solidarity with the workers of this country. I had no dream that he would not just say something, but make a video. I mean, it was beyond my hopes. And you know, amazing. Not like you know, I had no idea it was coming either. so I <laughs> you know, but I was just I was very happy about it and amazing. He's, you know,'m I'm, I'm counting on him to be the greatest president since Lyndon Johnson at dealing with the Senate and figuring out how to get some of these crucial things done. I mean, we've passed sensible gun reform already in this 117th Congress. We've passed sensible gun reform. We've passed the Equality Act for full rights for LGBTQIA plus people. We've uh, passed the Pro Act. We've passed HR one to you know protect our democracy from all this voter suppression and on and on. And which of these things is the Senate going to pass if they, you know, maintain their wonderful tradition of, you know, <laughs> deliberation like molasses, right,
3: Nothing right. <laughs> Um, So let's say our listeners, they've they've heard this interview. They're fired up. They want to do what they can to support workers. Um, What can the average person do to support workers if another union vote comes up or just the labor rights movement in general?
4: Well, so I have to tell you that an amazing number of people went to Bessemer from all over the country to help out. Um, including a young guy, there's a guy from, uh, uh, I'm just going to say his name. I mean, I don't think he'd care. Justin Omwenu called me or, you know, emailed me. He, he said, I want to go to Bessemer. I'm like, are you, I just heard you on the radio. You're still like the Sierra clubs, environmental justice organizer in Detroit. Right. And he said, yeah, but so we got on the phone. He said, I'm from there.
0: Wow. I'm from there.
4: And this is the most important thing happening. And I called the organizing director and he's like, yeah, and they had a great time. So, I mean, if people are really motivated, you know, they could like literally get involved in these justice struggles. But I think that so for one thing, there are organizing campaigns or, you know, strikes or picket lines happening, people fighting for a decent contract all over the country. Don't hesitate to just go join the picket line or, you know, help out in that way. I think that the number one thing people could do, though, is um, call their senators, uh, call senators from other places, write postcards, write letters. Um, if they're I mean, it's good to do Republican senators for sure. But I would focus <laughs> on, every, you know, Democratic senators and say, you all must pass the PRO Act right now. Mm-hmm. We're literally not going to tackle income and wealth inequality in this country unless we pass the PRO Act. There's there's no way to have, um, you know, rebuild the middle class to tackle poverty without workers being able to form unions in this country. And so I would, you know, really recommend that. And, you know, ultimately I think there's gotta be a movement. And uh, so if, if people listening are like a, a musician and they're a member of the AFM, you know, their local chapter, or if they are, you know, a worker in any, and if they're postal worker, you know they should go to their union and say, "How come we're not having a demonstration for the pro act? Let's, how come? Let's oh, well, get yeah. with our local labor movement and, you know, go march around our senators, you know, in state office or you know whatever it is. Get creative. I'm a big believer in creative nonviolent." direct action. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, as you're talking, it's made me realize it's like, I'm not currently in a union. But when I was, it, it did feel like part of my identity and a lot of the things that activate me to get out on the street. So if you are in a union, that's, that's a part of your identity that should be mm-hmm. part of what's motivating you. And if you go down there, maybe you'll run into Congressman Levin or Bernie Sanders <laughs> or Killer Mike or you never yeah. know. Thank you so much for your time and all of the information, Congressman. We really appreciate it.
4: Oh, my God. It's so great. Thanks for paying attention to this.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. course. Hopefully there will be positive developments to have you back on.
2: All right. Take care.
1: Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homeshef.com/feverdream. That's homeshef.com/feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. homeshef.com/feverdream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet.
1: Hello, everybody. We are back with our resident Bachelor correspondent, Bachelor co-host, Chris Burns, a.k.a. Fat Carrie Bradshaw, dispatched from L.A. Hello. Good morning. Hello.
5: Hello. So happy to join you here today. We had to
3: emergency have you come on the podcast to talk about, uh, you know, something that actually combines the SUP and Bachelor worlds.
5: I know. Crossover.
3: Finally. I mean, because there haven't been any other issues of race or
1: sexuality no, involved.
3: No. We, we only do the, the crossover. crossover episode now.
1: <laughs> right. We did have actually a very popular a lot. We had my friend Emma Gray come on, who hosts a different Bachelor podcast to talk about some stuff a couple weeks ago. And a lot of people were happy about it. So we're like, we got to talk about the big news and what it means and the context, because Colton is a pretty complicated figure in Bachelor Nation. Right.
5: Colton is a complicated figure in Bachelor Nation. Yes.
1: So, what happened
5: this morning? So this morning, I so last night, Kay, who hosts The Bachelor as well, um, sent me a link to like the preview because they like showed like the the interview, and she was like, "Oh my God, Colton's gonna say he's gay," <laughs> and I was like, "There's no way that's what it is." And then this morning at five a.m., I woke up to a text from Dana, who writes The Bachelor Breakdown, mm-hmm. saying. Um, to me and Kay being like, good morning, LA honeys, Colton's gay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was, um, I was surprised. I mean, mm-hmm. people like, you know, have said this about him before, but uh,
1: more than, a, I was more surprised. than other. I'm sure there are a number of bachelors in Bachelor Nation where people speculate. Was there like more about Colton than the others? Or was he sort of not number one on your list for who might come out?
3: I think there was more not to jump in on, Fat fact, no, Carrie Bradshaw's take here, but I think there was more because Colton has the virgin factor and his yeah. whole thing was, how is he a virgin? Why is he a virgin? He's he's football guy. All these babes want to bang him. Why is he a virgin? And it turns out he's gay. <laughs> that's a pretty good reason not to have sex with women <laughs> yeah and it's just it's funny to me because i do think like even though the bachelor deals with sex it's extremely puritanical and uh homonormative in its or, sorry <laughs> hetero. normative the, 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 the way it should be <laughs> but it's heteronormative in its viewpoint so it's never like it's like, why is he a virgin? He hasn't found the right girl. It's never, like, in the world of The Bachelor, they're never going to say, like, also, he could be a gay man.
5: Yeah, in the in in the world of The Bachelor, it's he's so sweet because he's a virgin because he's a Catholic, was raised Catholic. Yeah. Uh, and he also, like, talks about that in the interview. he also, like, just to piggyback on him being such a complicated figure, um... Aside from what happened recently Because he famously jumped over the fence For Cassie And then they like broke up And then he was I guess stalking her Yeah Um, And she got a restraining order against him That she since has dropped And dropped any other
3: uh, Okay that's good
5: Accusations against okay, him so like I a while Okay so I did not ago. know
3: about that <laughs> I'll say it right now I didn't know about the stalking <laughs> Well that's sort of what I wanted to
1: For me, there's, like, a lot of toxic masculinity in here. Never to forgive stalking, but it does provide some context for what's going on in this man's head. But, yeah, overall, not positive experiences with women, it seems.
5: No, and I'm not, obviously, I don't know, but, like, the fact that he was, like, doing the stalking and then all of a sudden she drops everything, I was like, Mm -hmm. he must have been really spinning out and then... My assumption is he like broke and told her because obviously she knew already. He also dated Ali Raceman. Raceman. Oh right, for like years. Yeah, for like years before he was on The Bachelor. Yeah.
1: I didn't
3: know that. Wow. See, this is why we have to have the Bachelor correspondent come on to tell us these (laughs) important details. Yeah. (laughs)
5: Yeah. So he's very um, interesting. Yeah. Why do you
3: think that this
1: that he made this announcement now? It's okay to be cynical about it.
5: Um. Well. Yeah. Well. I mean. I'm already seeing uh things that he has a Netflix show coming, which obviously that had to have been in the works before this morning, because yeah. there's no way Netflix is like, yeah, let's sign on. <laughs> yeah. Literally, he's already on the number one on out Hot 100 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. He also recently deleted all of his Instagram pics. Hmm. Um, and everyone just thought he was having a nervous breakdown, which I guess he kind of was. Um, I don't want to be like the timing is convenient. I felt in the interview I did feel for him a lot. Like I obviously have been there, and like you could just tell he was so nervous. Oh, um And he talks about how he was suicidal and how he like prayed to God when the day he found out he was the bachelor, he like took it as a sign that that meant he was straight um but and then also he was a pro football player mm-hmm. so yeah tough go for a gay tough man
1: oh yeah so he had never told anybody prior to recently he wasn't like out to his community or family and then
5: i don't believe so because he says wow. how he like told his his dad uh like recently did he how-
1: describe that reaction
5: it sounded like it went better than um, he thought it was going to, which is always good. Yeah. Uh, he said, like, his dad was like, what can I do? Like, who can I tell? Um, so, I, th- I mean, coming out in the in the spotlight like that, especially with The Bachelor, I'm like, that is kind of crazy. Like, he was The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. uh- <laughs> not even
3: that he was a contestant. He yeah. was The Bachelor, and for people who haven't, like, followed the arc of Colton, he was, like, a really... He, he went really far as a contestant, and then he was on Paradise and had a whole drama. That was, like, on- a
5: whole drama. Remember, he was, like, dating Tia, mm-hmm. and Ooh. she just was, and like, she was why? like, why
3: don't you love me? And it's, like, he's gay. He's
5: yeah. gay, honey.
3: He's actually... It, in, in context, a lot of his behavior... Like he seemed so troubled the whole season that yeah. he was the bachelor, and he seemed genuinely conflicted. And then he had all these sort of like, I don't know. He just like, I mean, he famously jumped over the fence and ran away. And it's like it was portrayed as like he jumped over the fence and ran away for love of Cassie. But I think he that was there was running. if you <laughs> can't come out of the closet, just jump over the fence. Jump, That's jump the, the famous fence and saying. Run into the woods, into the. Yeah. He, because i remember they were like we've lost colton like it was like, <laughs> like
5: it was well because that's what it was like supposed to be um cassie like quit mm-hmm. and she was right. in third and then he like jumped the fence to like go and get her um
3: but he also just kind of ran into woods like they yeah. didn't like he didn't really go
5: it's not like he could run all the way to cassie's house in la from wherever they were right in, uh, <laughs> Uh, like Paris or whatever at the time Yeah. Um, I remember when like I came out right after Ricky Martin came out because I remember being in the closet and I'm like I refuse to be like 40 years old oh, and yeah. having to come out of the closet like I'm like I'm not gonna live like this until I'm fucking 40 years old and <gasps> Colton's only I think like 26 now oh wow he was, he was young yeah or maybe he's a little uh, older than that.
3: Colton has a beautiful gay life ahead of him.
5: <laughs> oh, he's going to be very popular. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, oh, my God. Absolutely. He's going to do
3: great. Oh, Colton. And
1: I'm sure like I after know. his season, I mean, the way The Bachelor works, right, is that it becomes like a profession. Like you come on as a contestant or and then you try to get on Paradise and maybe be, oh, Colton is 29. So lots of...
5: He's a tomato. Baby. Tomato. He's under yeah. thirty.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so for years now, it's been like part of his like livelihood, probably, to be heterosexual. And I guess his his sort of time with the franchise finally came to an end, and maybe he felt like literally more free to to disclose that.
5: Yeah, I think I think what's still going to really hurt him is the Cassie, um, stalking stuff. Obviously. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, <laughs> yes.
5: The details on that aren't very clear, but I mean, I've read at the time, I remember reading the police report, and it was some stalkery shit. Like, yeah. he put a tracker he put a on tracker. her car. Um, so, that's which
1: opinion. is clearly a manifestation of, like, I, that's why I brought up Toxic Massively, not to excuse his behavior, but, like, if you're a closeted gay man and you're supposed to, I mean... I don't know if there's like a more sympathetic word for like beard, but I don't know if this thing that was keeping your life and your sort of how the world perceived you as a certain thing, and that's not accessible to you anymore, obviously not justifying. But to me, I do wonder if that played a role in his sort of spinning out there and it's not okay that that was at her expense and she felt unsafe, of course.
5: Yeah, totally. And I think, cause he also says in the interview that he like was in love with her, Hmm. but it's I, and I understand it's like a very confusing I'm sure he was very confused especially with that um I do wonder if he maybe just felt like a comfort with her and that's why he was like mm. going so insane to yeah
3: because he hasn't had the opportunity really to really be in love with anyone yet you
5: no, know and he says like... the thing he says in the interview he's like I've yet to like emotionally connect with a man and I'm like oh he's out there getting it Is yeah <laughs> Um, And also I was like If you think that's coming at any time That isn't gonna happen Um, for
3: you Oh you thought you decided to come out for that (laughs) All I'm saying is he's got a great torso For grinder. he's gonna do fine His He's gonna do fine Fine,
1: Colton will be
5: married by this time Next year (laughs) And I'll be sitting here talking about Colton Getting married
3: You'll do a a bride's crossover then. (laughs) Chris Harrison is is now canceled, but usually he officiates all of their weddings in Bachelor World. Is that they get a free, really tacky wedding that is officiated by Chris Harrison, and they have to invite everyone from their Bachelor season. And have like no
5: music play. Um, (laughs) And have
3: no music. And also like people are going to fight at your wedding.
5: (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting to like the the bachelor audience can be not the most uh open-minded obviously right. um when it comes to a lot of things i think the fact that like the woman with the racial issues of last season is the one with the highest follower count for example of all the mm-hmm. girls that were on the season um and colton i noticed because he was at two million followers and today i notice he's at 1.9 so he's already mm. lost like a hundred thousand followers But I bet he'll gain other Because there's people The Bachelor is not that like popular Among gay people I feel like Because what is it in it for us Nothing Um,
3: (laughs) Again it's (laughs) normative. It is extremely Straight uh, Performance (laughs) The last time there was any like Gay anything was Demi being bisexual And they brought They, like, brought an outside girl in because they couldn't have her, like, I always thought it was interesting, like, they could have two femme bisexual women appear on the show, but they couldn't have Demi actually taking, like, taking from the pool of contestants. So they just had to, like, bring this other lady. Well,
5: yeah, she, like, the other lady was, like, her... Someone she'd been seeing at, at yeah, home. Yeah,
3: and, like, she was only there for Demi. She wasn't really part was of so the weird. competition. And then Demi, because,
5: like, the way Paradise works is, like, if all three of us were there, um, I, like, it's the three of us. I'm, like, oh, I'm giving my rose to Elise. And then Amanda would go. But then next week they bring in um, right Millie and... Elise is like actually I'm giving it to Millie and then I'm like what the fuck and then I go <laughs> so like Demi I think at the time was like debating not giving this girl a rose and the girl was like well <laughs>
3: yeah, like if you don't- I'm
5: literally only here for you I'm a lesbian so like it was a whole she ends up picking her they're not still together um but okay. I I do think and we got a lot of DMs that were really nasty about Interesting. that
1: i mean yeah like you just said i mean the way the only way the bachelor franchise made that happen was two femmes one bisexual one external lesbian so the first reaction me and elise had to this was like oh my god what an amazing opportunity to have the first gay bachelor then i saw the socking stuff but also i mean chris what is the likelihood abc is going to show us two men kissing
5: I mean, we got the first black bachelor in like 28 seasons (laughs) this year. So I would assume we'll get a gay bachelor in like 2057. (laughs) Um, It'll be Colton. Like, I can't imagine (laughs) that at all. Because they're just, ABC especially, is so concerned with that that audience. They know that their bread and butter comes from conservative viewers. And I think that's why it takes them so long to say anything and um we'll see I mean I I feel yeah that probably will never happen I would be gagged uh yeah because I was also thinking about Colton being stuck in the house when he was on Becca's season with all those guys all day I would be going crazy
1: (laughs) And and Garrett was a transphobe the whole time
5: oh my god
1: probably a homophobe
5: Right? And that's what Colton says in the interview. He's like, you know, like playing football, especially when he was, he was like, gay was just like what we said for stupid, which Mm -hmm. was what... And I was in high school too. Like, you didn't make that pass, you gay ass.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Things like that.
5: And I'm like, it's... I can't imagine. Um, It was hard for me and I didn't play professional sports. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Finally, before we let you go, I mean... As this news breaks, I'm sure, as you said, the broader Bachelor audience is not the most sophisticated when it comes to understanding the nuances of people coming out. Are there any negative tropes or reactions you've already seen that are upsetting or that you anticipate that people should avoid when talking about this or reacting to this or processing
5: it? I think in general, being like, I knew, is very annoying. And um, there's already like 400 comments on The Bachelor post saying that. Uh, (laughs) it's also like no you didn't know you just like you didn't know you assumed and I'm sure you've said that about a lot of people who aren't um I think like even if people knew I know when I came out people were like obviously which now it's like obviously but back in the day I was like it was the worst thing like I was miserable for 20 years yeah so I think that will get on my nerves and I'm sure his as well Um, but it's just the start of his journey so yeah I'm sure he'll he'll do very well he's gonna do fine
1: (laughs) maybe he will have more luck emotionally connecting to a man than 90% of people who try (laughs)
5: Yeah, well, if he does, he'll have to let me know how.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know,
5: some people have all the luck. You know, he'll be married to like a hot, rich man by next week.
1: For sure. He's going to have like triplets by September. (laughs) where can people so the bachelor is on hiatus but you have you guys have to subscribe to that now why wait it'll pop into your feed when you guys get started again and the newsletter is still ongoing where can people sign up for the bachelor newsletter
5: sign up uh bachelor yeah bachelor co slash bachelor breakdown and yes do that because as we find out more information about the new contestants on katie's season and michelle's season we're, we're putting out new newsletters and um yeah, yeah it's it's the beginning of sleuth season for amazing Bachelor, so
1: love it thank you so so much for joining us chris oh, oh and obviously you gotta it. follow if you don't follow chris i don't know how you've missed him Perry, Bradshaw. Bradshaw. Thank, you. thank you chris until the end of democracy i'm amanda Duberman. i'm elise morales and this is the of stuff podcast